Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and Alenco Animal Health. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with a bloke who has probably sold more cattle than anybody else in the industry. I'm speaking, of course, of Roger Hallowell from the Stanbroke Group, a great part of Australia's beef industry. Roger, on behalf of Alenco Animal Health, welcome to The Grill. Thanks, Kerry. And we're about to give you a barbecue to start cooking. How do you cook it? Yeah, well, uh, the, my old Q uh, Weber and have uh, another affair with and a bit of um, ribeye, medium rare, and uh, very hard to beat. Medium rare, that's the way everybody seems to like it. No, don't blame them, actually. <laughs> now, Roger, I'll get to your wonderful career history with Stanbrack, but with your background and knowledge, did you ever think that the cattle prices of today would, would come to fore? I mean, they're completely unbelievable in some places, but did you ever think that they'd skyrocket to to this level? No, no, not to this level. I, I knew that there was there had to be some improvement, there had to be some strengthening of the market, but not to this level. And uh, given the balance with the uh, processing side, it's probably not sustainable. As we see numbers increase, the market will come back. But like any market, or like the, certainly the cattle market, when we see a, a lift or sometimes even a drop, it sets a new base. So we won't go back to where we were, I don't think, but we've, we'll maybe not stay where we are. What could pull it up at present? I mean, the outlook in terms of from the Weather Bureau is pretty promising for summer and heading into spring next year. Yeah, I think supply is going to hold it where it is. I think in the demand out of uh, US, um, China is another matter, of course, but doesn't seem to have impacted unduly at this stage. But So let's go to Stanbroke. You started as a young fellow. How did you get involved with Stanbroke? Well, I went to Ag College in Victoria. Did a, a Dookie you went to, Dookie, I yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, after that, I decided I wanted to add a, some sort of qualification to it, so I decided on land valuation, and, and at that time, the AMP was an option to, to work with uh, in terms of they were a big um, mortgage lenders into the industry, into the primary industry. And so anyway, I finished up applying and getting a job with them as a cadet valuer to work in their rural lending section. My first uh, posting was to Hobart, which was only for about six or eight months, and I got a, got a call to see the, uh, the HR manager there, and I was sent to the rarefied atmosphere of 24th floor of AMP in Sydney. And Circular Quay, I know the Circular building well. Circular yeah. <laughs> and uh, the reason for that basically was that the AMP had, in the past, been interested in land development. They had the 90-mile desert scheme in South Australia. They had the tea trees development in New South Wales and as I said they were big mortgage lenders and and uh, they were looking to expand their their rural investment and so my job there was to go and work with the guy who was in, in charge of doing that and we did a lot of assessments of Wallum country around Bundaberg and Merriwick etc so that was the connection with uh, with the AMP. Was that the famous Jim Balderstone? Yeah, no, Jim Balderstone was not the the Sydney person I'm talking about, that right. was that was another AMP. Jim Balderston was, was the uh, general manager of Borthwick's. So uh, you got tied up with him in this, st- starting or creating this empire, didn't you? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I then uh, moved from Sydney back to Melbourne, and at that time uh, Stanbroke had just started, and Jim Balderston was just virtually on his own, uh, and they had the two properties because Borthwick's was one of the uh, shareholders, and they contributed two of their properties, they were their only two properties, as capital into Stan- the new Stanbroke. Anyway, he needed, um, he wanted someone to act as a, an offsider, 
and uh, assistant. And so I was seconded from the AMP to, to Stanbroke um, with, to work with Jim Balderstone. And uh, uh, after about 18 months, I was offered a full-time role with Stanbroke. But the condition of that was to go bush for a couple of years because my not experience, etc., was entirely uh, uh, southern. And so he said, if you want to work in this company, off you go and get a bit of dust on the boots. Yep. And which I did, and it was a great couple of years. I really enjoyed it. Now, Jim Balderstone, very famous in history. I'm told he was so tough that the softest part of him were his teeth. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. No, he didn't pay anything more than he uh, than he had to for anything. <laughs> I can assure you that was <laughs> that was a fact. But uh, um, that created problems with the expansion of Stanbroke because the properties that the company wanted to buy were difficult to shift people out of, and of course sometimes they set the price at levels which were way beyond. That was expected or had been, and uh, that created issues. But by and large, the, it, the growth rate was of, was enormous. So you started out with just a couple of properties. Yeah. And how did it grow? How fast did it grow? In the first six years, it grew to 17 properties and 180,000 cattle, and then at its zenith, um, 550,000 cattle on 27 properties. Wow. That was just prior to the sale. That That's... Uh creating a real industry, a real empire, isn't it? There, yeah. was, there was nothing like it in Australia at the time. Well, when it got to 550, there was nothing like it in the world in terms of that that type of production, not feedlot. But, yeah. And the reason you have often been cited as selling more cattle than anybody else in Australia, you were, you were in charge of the turnoff, weren't you, every year? Yeah. For the last 12 years, my role was uh, livestock sales manager and uh, we were selling the best part of 150,000 cattle a year and it's not only the selling, of course, it's the logistics and arranging and, and all the things that go with it, contact with everybody. So it was, yeah, it was a great 12-year period for me. So where did you sell those cattle? Did you sell them uh, at, in, through yards or private treaty? No, or? virtually no yards. It was all uh, either direct private treaty with meat companies or live export. So uh, speaking of live experts, exports, rather, was Stanbroke heavily involved in that? In the latter years, we, uh, Stanbroke bought Helen Springs and uh, Brunchilly, which is a complex of about 60,000 cattle. It's about well, 300 k's south of Catherine, mm-hmm. and uh, specifically to get into that live export market. And uh, we finished up getting an export licence and set up a joint venture with Santori in Indonesia, and we were supplying 1,500 a month into a joint venture. So that would have been quite profitable in those early days. Well, it I was think. until the repair crashed and uh, we, course, yes. it, fell, it all fell apart, yeah. 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 Now, it also the type of cattle that you were putting onto the stations there, a lot of Santas up there originally, but you went to Brahman, is that yeah, correct? The, yeah, the Helen Springs herd was essentially Brahman. We had some uh, Charolais influence there, but really Brahmins were what, what suited there and suited the Indonesians. So you started this empire... Suddenly you get from the 60s into the 70s and then the great cattle crash. Do you yeah. remember that? I yeah. suspect you would very well. Yeah, 75 really it all unravelled. Yeah. And uh, Japan and closed shop, having been really sort of strongly developing that market and so did the US. And uh, uh, yeah, shocking, absolutely shocking period. You've got several hundred thousand cattle on board. What, yeah. what did you do? Did you destock? No, 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 not really. The decision was made to... Do what we could to maintain the breeding herd, yep. but all the all the nice things, all the comfort zones were gone uh, in terms of labour and things, and, and no weaning. Everything the cattle had to 
survive as best they could and um, just get through it with the numbers as best we could. So you toughed it out? Pretty much. Wow. Did you, did you notice what, pr- cattle prices, what price cattle were selling for then in the yards? Oh, I think, the, I think our turn-off, we, the Stanbroke made two, two losses of half a million dollars in, in 77 and 78, and the average price in 77, I think, was $69 a head. Jeez. And when and compared to $200 a head on average prior to the... Uh, which is somewhat lower than what we were talking about before. I know. I know. <laughs> You'd add, uh, add another naught to that. But yeah. in some places, especially in the south, the situation was dreadful. Sometimes the price would not even cover the cost of transport no. to the yards. No, 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 yeah. no. Exactly, exactly. No, it was... Uh, it was a time of, uh, of great stress for individuals, not so much. I mean, the, the corporates, well, that was one of the benefits of the, the strength of, a, of Stanbrake was to have a, a bankroll like the AMP. The, yes. the, that wasn't open checkbook, I promise you, but it was, it, we, at least we had the, the strength to keep going, the uh, financial strength. And w- one of the problems across the north was, of course, there was always a disease problem there, and then somebody thought of the BTEC program. I've got to say, looking back, it was a fantastic program and it worked so well. Were you part of that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, so I was part of it I, 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 to some extent. But yeah, BTEC came from the fact that the dairy industry had eliminated brucellosis from the dairy herd in Australia. The beef industry was sort of the uh, left behind on that score. And so the decision was really made that there had to be a, a, a full attack on the on, brucellosis, on tuberculosis and uh, uh, mainly mainly to protect uh, our markets against, uh, say, the US who were under pressure from, from their producers, the American producers, to, to stop or limit imports. And if they could find a reason like animal health to do it, they would. So that was part of the motivation to enter BTEC. And it was a massive scheme. It was extraordinary. I mean, the cattle had to be injected then held for two days in red, and uh, on the bigger properties that was a, a, a massive pro- process in dealing with little calves and et cetera, et cetera. I could talk for a long time about it, but the the outcome was clear of, uh, of tuberculosis, but on top of that, properties and cattle management and husbandry had improved enormously. I understand the vets who were doing this had to go from property to property. Yep. And they had to check every beast on the property. Yep. And when there were Mickey bulls out under trees somewhere, someone had to go out and shoot them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There wasn't a lot of shooting. They they, they sort of persevered with mustering, and and it was a problem with cows with little calves at foot in hot weather, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No, there were a lot of challenges, and but it had to be clean. I think it's the biggest uh, clean up program in the history of Australian cattle, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I think in ten years. Stanbroke tested over 2 million cattle, or carried out 2 million tests. But the eradication of brucellosis and TB from the, from, as you say, from the herd, the national herd, was absolutely essential yeah. to create the export industry that it is today. To protect it, yeah. 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 So BTEC, Roger, a very, very important event. But then another equally important occasion, you had to consider what type of cattle you were going to run across the north. And, of course, when you first started there... Mostly English breeds, the, the Boss Taurus variety, and they'd hardly be suitable, but the only cattle you had, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a very big point, and it would be probably the second largest change that's happened in the northern industry in the last 40 years, I suppose. And 
all shorthorn cattle, some Herefords, and mortality rates were enormous, branding rates were low. Um, it was more or less harvest what was left. And uh, anyway, the decision was made to, uh, it, well, certainly in Stanbroke, but throughout the industry to varying varying degrees to introduce Bosyndicus blood, mainly Brahmin bulls. Um, that was not universally accepted. People, these yaks are going to mongrelise our herds. We won't have any markets. You'll never catch them when they get to the channel country. There was a bit of prejudice yeah. about Brahmin. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. There was a bloke I heard that it was actually expelled from the Cattlemen's Club in Rockhampton because he was one of the first uh, <laughs> Brahmin breeders. But uh, uh, no, it was a massive change and uh, a lot of expense and a lot of... Um, and there were management issues. The Brahmin cattle were a bit more difficult to handle but not to any extent and once the once weaning uh, was put in place linked with the Bruce, uh, TB BTEC uh, program um, and weaner education took place the Brahmin cattle boss Indies cattle were so much easier and better to work and it was a it really was a, a massive um, change in the industry a positive change in the industry where did you get the, the first Brahmins from the very first Brahmins were um, introduced to Waverley with the rights, uh, and Stanbroke actually bought bought Waverley and uh, uh, set up the ter- t- changed it from a fattening operation to a bull breeding operation. And we got to the point where, in one year, we had brought all the breeding managers, property manage property managers down, and sort of had an internal auction, and the six hundred and ten bulls, Brahmin bulls, were distributed. Wow! And we did we probably couldn't think of anywhere else in the world maybe that presented 610 bulls or 650, 610 were selected um, to go to the company's breeding property. So it was a... Um, yeah. a, a seminal moment in the history of the, of the company. Well, the, the initial decisions were, were the seminal moments. Bob Chester was the veterinary officer and he was the one, um, along with the mother scientific basis, Professor uh, Des Dowling, you may remember, but he was, he, he and a couple of others were very, very strong on, on this, the need to introduce Bosyndicus. Perfect, perfect cattle for Northern Australia. Absolutely, absolutely. And they've moved into the south and the central. They have indeed, yes. Yeah, with your drought masters and your Brahmins and Stanbroke uh, uh, developed a, uh, a hybrid, not a hybrid, what's the word I'm looking for, the uh, composite called Diamantina Gold, and uh, that was a mixture of the various Bondic, Boss Indicus blood and British. So anyway, that's it, 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 it was just a, a major contribution. Or major and a great, piece of, a great piece of northern cattle industry history. Absolutely, no question. Time for a quick word from our sponsors, the Alenco Animal Health People. Back in a moment. Akatak Duo Star from Alanco provides knockdown and residual control of cattle ticks and ivermectin sensitive parasites. Applied early in the season, Akatak Duo Star reduces the buildup of the tick population and helps to prolong the life of effective chemistry. Give ticks and worms the flick with Akatak Duo Star. Always read and follow the label directions and ensure good agricultural practice for optimal parasite control. And here we are back with Roger Hallowell from the Stanbroke uh, Pastoral Company, reminiscing on some of the great moments through a wonderful, wonderful career. Now, when did Stanbroke reach its peak in terms of cattle numbers? Uh, that would have been when uh, John Cox negotiated the purchase of uh, Queensland Northern Territory Pastoral Company, and that was in 
2001. Uh, that was bought from Bankers Trust. Bankers Trust, yes. And, and that took us to 550,000. Wow, a year. wow. You and John Cox made a pretty formidable duo. I understand you had a great relationship and you worked very well with him yeah. for years and years and years. Yeah, no, we did. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, well, I worked with Jim Balderston and then Bill Norton came yeah. in as the, uh, but then with John and, uh, yeah, and John was the one who gave me the job as the to manage and being totally responsible for the cattle marketing. Up until then, Jim Balderston, or Sir James as he was then, um, and chairman of BHP as a, a sideline comment, um, uh, he was very strict on the basis that the in, the managing director of the company was had to be responsible for all selling. That was a that was a, not a, a arguable with Jim Balderston, but okay. John was able to wheel him on that and uh, that's when I was appointed so it was it was sort of set up and, and John was very very good to work with on that score I hardly had to refer to him on yeah. deals unless that was a we had a couple of very big deals and I'd just go and run it past him and things but um, yeah no we had a we had a good there was one particular deal that he did overnight that he rushed to Sydney and found the sellers of these properties while someone else was flying in from overseas yeah. allegedly to buy the... Tell, tell us about that. Well, that was QNTP. All right, OK. Uh, and he flew to Sydney and uh, 10 o'clock at night stitched the deal up and uh, at that point uh, three representatives from Suntory were flying from Jakarta. I'm told, I'm not sure whether this is true or not, they rocked up at the next morning at 9 o'clock or whatever and were given tickets to fly home again. But <laughs> that might be a little bit of a... That'd be, yeah. that'd be Coxie. He was very, very <laughs> clever. Very clever man. Now, Stanbroke also innovated several good programs for agriculture. They were among the first to advertise for jackaroos and jillaroos, etc., and create a, a proper training program for them. Yeah, that's, Kerry, that's for sure. And not only for jackaroos and jillaroos, the head stockmen and managers of the training programs set up were quite extensive, um, full-on courses with Myers-Briggs assessments, etc., etc., and, and uh, um, we got to having a, a workplace agreement which saw about 20 of the senior Stanbroke on property people as accredited trainers, uh, a lot of work and a lot of... Um, effort went into and money went into training with great results and uh, it was a strength of the company it got to the point where people really wanted to come and work not only with Stanbrake but work with the bigger operators I know people in the bush were quite proud to say they were trained by Stanbrake yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. you know it was quite a transition over the years Kerry it's probably worth mentioning that when Stanbrake was formed there was a probably a bit of a hangover of negativity towards corporates and and corporate people and managers and whatever coming from uh, offshore ownership before absentee ownership and uh, it took a bit of getting over this and managers and things were treated as sort of second class citizens in some of the districts and everything so but as you say through processes and management of land and people and so on the company or well certainly Stanbroke and I think it obviously applied to others but um developed a much better relationship with the industry. You've seen a lot of the overseas people come and go. I can recall from a young fellow when the Vesties were big. Yeah. The uh, Japanese were big at one time. The uh, the Indonesians were big at one time. You've yeah. seen them all come and go. Yeah. And Stanbroke stood firm for so many years. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think there's the reason that was a very strong shareholder and uh, and 
and to, I would say that at the beginning when Jim Balderston was the initial managing director and Sir Vincent Fairfax was the chairman, those two men established a fibre in the company and a structure in the company that, that endured yeah. and it attracted the right people, good managers. So was the overseas influence, was it good overall or was it, a, or was it just a passing fad that you knew would go away and... I mean, they all came with lots of money and lots of ideas, and most of them left with their tail between the legs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's right. I think they underestimated the difficulties of our industry, that seasonal changes, the market changes, the the threat of uh, animal health issues, even human health issues, the sort of dietary matters that were coming up. And sort of, yeah, I guess the good... It wasn't as simple and as straightforward as they might have thought or as profitable necessarily. Now, property prices across the north of balloon over recent years. How do you see the future of the northern cattle industry, say from Kimberley across to the to the uh, up to northern Queensland? How do you see the future? In terms of the the future of, of the production is, is enormous, and what can happen, and I think will happen, and just leading on from what's already happened with the cattle management and the type of the herd, etc. But um, and also just the protein demand, I think, and. But the question is going to be whether or not the the cost of production in the territory for transport or in the north and labour issues uh, will be that the current land values will be sustainable. I don't know, Kerry. They're a bit over the done at the, overdone in terms of beast area value now. Um, but I'm not really in a, okay cr- across that sort of. I'll ask you to comment on the uh, the sale of Stanbroke and the breaking up of Stanbroke. I'm not sure how much you can say, but. How was that viewed at the time when it was happening? Uh, well, internally, it was viewed very, very badly and, and uh, most unfortunate for the, for those involved. I can give you a bit of a rundown on, on how that happened but um, or why, I suppose, but um, came virtually out of the blue. I was actually in South America with John Cox and I walked out, went down to breakfast and he was looking pretty glum and he said, go and roll your swag, we're on the market, we're going home. Wow. And... Uh, in Uruguay, and so um, then the process was set up with Rabobank, and it was very, very difficult for everybody in, in the company to see it going and the issues that came up. And yes, yeah. the book or the play or the movie will be written in the future, <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> yeah, Roger Hallowell, Stanberg veteran, wonderful to talk and reminisce about your time with one of the industry's icons. Thanks very much. Thanks, Gary. Cheers. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is The Weekly Grill brought to you by Beef Central and our podcast partner, Elenco Animal Health.